Welcome to Arise Church, where we exist so that you can experience God. I pray that this message will encourage, inspire, and grow your faith in God. Enjoy the message. What's up, Risers? How you guys doing? Y'all good this morning? Man, worship was awesome. Uh, super excited to be back with you this morning. My name is Brent. If we've never met, I get the privilege of being your lead pastor, and we're going to continue to experience God together today over the next few moments. Always want to celebrate as we get started. We have two cool celebrations, unusual celebrations. Number one, how about Elijah, Eliza Joy Pratias, who was born Friday night? Six pounds, six ounces, 19 and a half inches. If you don't know who that is, that's Pastor Pratyash's and Ashley's daughter. Uh, and uh, he spoke last Sunday here for Pentecost Sunday on Sunday morning. Wasn't he awesome? Yeah. yeah, that's him. In fact, behind the scenes, I was a little concerned. I'm like, we got to have a backup plan just in case, like Saturday night, she goes to the hospital because he can't miss, you know, the birth of her, their first child. So, and you'll hear about this more because we'll end up making a video about it. But she is absolutely a miracle baby. Yeah. Ashley was never supposed to be able to get pregnant and, and all this. And if she did, it wouldn't work out. And she is a miracle baby. And we are believing that miracles are going to come through this baby as she grows up. Amen. Yeah. So secondly, I want to say fire night last week was awesome. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. I love that. And as I was praying about it, even Monday or, or early Tuesday, I was talking to our staff about this. Um, sometimes when the fire comes, it goes right out. You ever been to youth camp? Ever been to convention, women's retreat, whatever it is, you go, it's on fire, you come back. Here's the thing, you have to, when the fire is small, you have to protect it. It's like, it's like this, this glass, you have to protect it. You have to care for it. You have to keep things from getting to it that would put it out. I don't know what that is for you, but you do know what that is. If you want to keep the fire, there's certain things you can't listen to, watch, be around, here. There's certain things you just, you just have to protect the fire or you'll lose the fire. Things will put it out. Secondly, you need to feed the fire, like this old oil lamp, right? It's going to have the oil that comes into it. Somebody say, what do you feed the fire? You feed it what got it started in the first place. Whatever got it started, keep feeding that thing, whether it be worship or prayer or coming to church or whatever, whatever it is, feed the flame, feed the fire inside of you and protect the fire. And in that way, you don't have to lose the fire. Come on, somebody. I'm a proponent of keeping the fire and fanning the flame and keeping it getting bigger and larger inside of each one of us. Amen. All right. All right. So we start a new series today. Uh, It'll go the next couple weeks. Next week will be interesting because it's Father's Day. Uh, But we start this series called Pride and Prejudice. Have you noticed looking around the area that there are rainbow flags everywhere? If you go to the mall right now, like every store has like rainbow something and it's Pride Month, obviously. And last year at about this time, uh, uh, I noticed that, that it seemed to be more aggressive than it ever had been in the past. There's reasons for that that I could talk offline with you about, but it was more aggressive than it ever had been. And I said, my goodness, we have to come around and talk about this this year uh, because we are a church that is not afraid to tackle tough issues issues. I mean this, yeah, with a, with a lot of respect for my friends, but I talk to other pastors all the time and they're like, oh, I am not talking about that on stage, especially once the church gets a little bit larger. And I'm like, no, we are going to tackle those tough issues because the people are talking about it. We have to talk about it. We're not, we're not going to hide from it. Um, and so we will talk about tough issues in our church, but we don't talk about them every week. Some people think, oh, well, this is just a confrontational, hot topic church that's going to talk about confront, you know, controversial issues. No, we're not that church necessarily, but we also just, we just don't shy away from those things. Uh, and so we're 
going to talk about this over the next three weeks, um, and it's going to be really good. I do want to tell you that if you have little kids in the room, Pastor Ada mentioned it at start, but you may want to put them in kids' ministry. It's up to you, because uh, some of the stuff we will talk about will be a little bit graphic for their ears, depending on their age. And so we don't always talk about this, but we do have to talk about it. Uh, and we're not going to be anxious and, and concerned and, 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 and uh, all that when we talk about it. So let me say a few things as we get started. Um, first of all, there are quite a few LGBTQ plus people that attend our church, and we love you and we are glad you're there. So first of all, let me just talk really quickly to you specifically, okay? Number one, the first little thought I would have is this. As a pastor, I know I represent the church. And when it comes to LGBTQ issues, the church historically has not handled them very well. Usually it was because the church didn't know what to do. So we said things that sounded good or whatever, and, and we didn't really know what to do. So historically, we were very abusive and ugly and said things that were not helpful. And, and, and historically, we've not done a good job. So as a person who represents the church, let me start out with this. I apologize on behalf of the church. For every person that's been abused, that's been uh, uh, spoken down to, for every person that's been, instead of called up, called down, for every person that, that has been hurt and wounded by the church, I apologize. As everybody watching online who's been hurt by the church, I apologize on behalf of the church. That is not the heart of God. That is not the heart of God. All right, so, but, but three quick things. I, that was kind of an intro. Three quick, quick, three real quick things as we get started that I'm talking to my, my LGBTQ friends. Number one, you matter to God. The video just showed it so well, but you matter to God. You are not somebody that doesn't matter. You are not, no matter how you've been treated by the world or by the church, you matter to God. And it's important that you start there. You matter. Number two, you matter to me. You matter to me. Uh, it's not just that you matter to God. I love you. I'm glad you're here. Some of you who've been around our church for a long time, you've heard me say this, but I want every LGBTQ person in this area to come to our church. And if that makes you uncomfortable, then you're probably in the wrong church. And we'll talk about why in a few moments, but, but, but we want everybody here because life change happens here. So, so you matter to me. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm not taking this subject on from some distant, far off place. Uh, when I was a young man, my brother came out of the closet. That put me into a whole nother world. Since that time, uh, um, I've got nieces and nephews who've come out of the closet kind of thing, or some have never were even in the closet because of the generational change, and so they've just always been a proponent of it. Um, uh, but but uh, this is not like some distant thing to me where I'm talking about people I don't know. I'm talking about people that I know, that I love, that I care about, and so you matter to me. Thirdly, I would say you matter to this church. You matter to this church. Somebody say amen. Y'all better say amen. Because we value people. And God's grace is for everyone and not beyond anyone. Again, we'll come back to this in a few moments later in the message, but, but that's where it has to start. You matter to me. You matter to this church. You matter to God. It's important that you understand. Listen, we, we, you matter to people here. So, so let's talk about it and let's be clear as we talk about it and say a few things. I'm going to give you three major points, a lot of tidbits throughout the message, and hopefully just let the Holy Spirit lead and guide. Number one would be this. We must know the Word of God. We have to know what the Word of God is saying, what the Word of God is declaring on every subject. <laughs> uh, it is not one of those things where, uh, where you get to pick and choose. I've said this for years, but the Bible is not Golden Corral. 
You can go to Golden Crow and you can pick to get the mashed potatoes and not the macaroni and cheese. You can choose to eat the salad and not the steak. The Bible does not function that way. It is meant to be taken as a whole, at least the New Testament, you know, with the Old Testament, much of it, but the New Testament is meant to be accepted as a whole. You don't get to pick and choose what you like and what you don't like. Which is interesting because, believe it or not, thousands of years ago, somebody actually predicted, as Paul wrote to a young man by the name of Timothy, he actually predicted that there would come a time, believe it or not, the people would pick and choose what theology they wanted to believe. And he said this, 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Listen, we got to be so very cautious of this. We can't just take verses out of context. But, but here's the thing. If you're honest, and this is important as we talk on this subject, if you're honest, because I know some of you won't be because you're such good Christians that you want to put on a show. But if you were honest, there are some Bible verses you wish weren't there. Come on. I know you're like, I love the law. I love the Bible. But there are some verses that you're like, it would be awfully nice if God hadn't have said that. I don't like the gluttony stuff, y'all. Come on. I, I don't like the discipline stuff, you know? I, I really would rather not always have to try to be so disciplined. I, I don't like fasting. If you like fasting, you're just weird. There are some things in the Bible that, that you just don't. It would be, I would like it if it wasn't there. But you know what it is? And here's the deal. I don't get to change the standard of the Bible based on my preference. Lowering the ruler doesn't make you taller. We don't get to change the standard of the Bible because that's our preference. But yet we live in a day and age where that's going on constantly. And yeah, we can talk about LGBTQ issues, but it goes on in all kinds of ways. And if you're not any, in any way LGBTQ in this room, I promise you there's some things this, this message that will probably offend you. <laughs> Because here's the thing about the Bible. It's offensive. It calls us to a high standard. And we don't get to lower the standard. Yet we live in a cultural context where we are lowering the standard of God in order to appease our own theology, our own nature, our own desires. So I want to lower God's standards to be what I want it to be instead of actually living up to God's standards. And we're calling ourselves tall when all we're doing is lowering the ruler. All right. So, so I think we have, to be, we have to be so very, very, very cautious of doing that. And when we start doing that, what happens is we start uh, uh, um, lowering that standard and immediately uh, we start to change what's right and wrong. And what is historically right and wrong in all kinds of areas, we lower it to our current culture and culture decides what's right and wrong instead of unchanging truth, which comes in this sense from the Word of God and by the way through science, we'll talk about it in a few moments, but unchanging truth. And so you can't change or either you end up with a culture that says this is right and this is wrong today and tomorrow it flips and the next day it can flip. There's no standard from which we can actually have agreement on. And so we live in this world right now where, where what used to be called right is now called wrong and what used to be called wrong is now called right and the moral high ground has actually flipped so that if you are actually right, you are considered wrong and you have to defend your rightness against the wrongness. Does that make sense? The, the whole culture has shifted. In fact, in, in, um, in the book of Acts, it's, we're told that the disciples turned the world upside down. Right. I've made the argument for years, they didn't turn the world upside down, they turned the world right side up. <laughs> That's what's happening. The world is getting upside down because we're changing the standards of right and wrong. Right. Yeah. 
And it's happening again. It's not just LGBTQ issues. It's all over the place. And if you're honest, you're in there somewhere probably because that's how we start to face. And so, so we got to be so cautious of that. You don't, you don't lower the standard. You don't widen the standard. You know, sin is a funny word. It's, a, it's an archer's term that means to miss the mark. If you're not perf- perfect, if it's not in the center, if you're outside of that at all, you are missing the mark. That would be sin. Uh, when, um, when the Arrow, the TV show came out years ago, I got into bow hunting, or not bow hunting, but just shoot, target shooting. And I got really into that for a little short time because I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So I'm in the backyard shooting, but I'm horrible at it, y'all. <laughs> so I, I bought one of those little targets, but I can't hit the little target. So what did I do? I had to get a bigger target. I got to get stacks of hay to make sure I'm not hitting the neighbor's house, right? Um, Stacks of hay to make sure that it's a nice large target so I can always hit the target somewhere. This is what we are doing nowadays. Because we're not hitting the center of the target, we just make it wider and wider and wider to make ourselves feel good and gather around us what our itching ears want to hear. Go to churches that make us happy. Go to the churches that tell us everything's fine. We don't get to widen the target and present, pretend we're hitting the bullseye. Y'all with me? Yes. All right, so we have, we have one main verse that we're going to share, and there's a bunch of little ones. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians 6. We're going to read 9 through 12, but to start, we're just going to read 9 and 10. And let's start to talk about this in a little bit more in depth. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, where it will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there's one line right there that probably jumped off the page to most of us because of the topic we're talking about, but don't miss all the other lines that probably speak directly to you. It did say greedy in there somewhere. You know, it did say slanderer. I know we live in a political world right now where we love to talk about people. Okay, just just for the record. But when we talk about the LGBTQ issues, the Bible clearly disapproves of homosexual acts. It's clear from beginning to end in the Old Testament and New Testament. We're doing more study on this in depth on Wednesday nights. And and, and I wish it didn't. I wish it didn't for my LGBTQ friends, for my family. I wish it did not, but it does. And we'll talk about why in just a moment, but it does. And I don't get to change what it clearly says for what I want. And it's not cherry-picking scripture. It's not like this one and this one. Uh, You can't make an argument based on some root word that it's really this and not that, despite what you might have seen on YouTube. I, I, I really wish you could. I would be a proponent if you could, but you can't. And so I have to take the Bible for what it is. In fact, in three weeks, Dr. Michael Brown will be here with us, and uh, I'm going to publicly debate him. I'm going to take the side of a, of a pro-LGBTQ theology, and we're going to debate on the stage. It's going to be fun. I love to debate. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about it there, but that's not what it is. The Bible clearly disapproves of, of homosexuality from beginning to end. Um, and you see it right there in that passage in 1 Corinthians. But the question comes up, why does the Bible dis- disapprove of, of homosexual acts and, and that kind of lifestyle? Well, it's relatively easy because sin is destructive. I would say it this way. Sin is sin because it causes you to miss the mark of your best life. Amen. Think of it this way. Think about it this way. If God is the author of life, somebody say amen, all life comes from God, then anything that hinders your connection to the author of life, the giver of life, anything that hinders that connection, which is what we call sin, actually takes away life from you. God is not a cosmic killjoy trying to take your life away and everything you enjoy. 
God is actually trying to give you life. That's the goal of, of this. And so sin is sin because it's harmful at the end of the day. It separates you from God, but it's also harmful physically. Uh, again, if you've got kids in the room and you might want to close their ears for a little bit of this, but here's just a few things. I could go at length on this subject, uh, but homosexual, especially male on male, is extremely dangerous physically. Uh, homosexual men are much higher risk of anal cancer, STDs, HIV, AIDS, hepatitis A and B, and many, many more diseases. Uh, why? Because 2% of homosexuals are in monogamous relationships. That means, hear this, 10 or fewer partners. That's considered monogamous. 43% of male homosexuals admit to having sex with 500 or more partners. That's almost half. And 79% of those say that half of these partners were complete strangers. When you live that kind of lifestyle, when you give yourself over to it, you actually find that you inherit a lot of physical problems. Now, I'm not beating up on anybody. I'm just, these are the stats. This is the science behind it. Uh, things like STDs, gonorrhea, syphilis are rapidly increasing and have been for a long time. Uh, uh, gonorrhea as well. Uh, gay men experience the majority of HIV and AIDS diagnoses by far. Um, they account for 72%, last that it was done, 72% of all HIV infections among men. Um, the CDC reports that the number of HIV AIDS diagnoses for men has increased by 13% and continues to increase. In 1983, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration uh, banned men who have sex with men, that's how they refer to it, men who have sex with men from giving blood at any time, uh, and it has been that way uh, ever since. And you say, why is it that way? Well, you can look it up for yourself, but here's an excerpt of their explanation for why they banned that, those people from giving blood. And it says this, the... Um, Men who have had sex with men since 1977 have an HIV prevalence 60 times higher than that of the general population, 800 times higher than the first-time blood donors, and 8,000 times higher than repeat blood donors. Men who have sex with men also have an increased risk of having other infections that can be transmitted by others through blood transfusion. For example, infection with the hepatitis B virus is about five to six times more common, and hepatitis C virus infections are about two times more common in men who have sex with men than in the general population. It's interesting to me that we live in a culture that is consumed by health. You live in a lifestyle with people that are consumed by eat your vitamins, make sure you exercise, make sure you are disciplined. There are gyms on every corner nowadays, right? We have then traded the temple of God, the, 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 the body of Christ, for the temple of God, the, the physical body that has now become a temple. And now we have worshipped the physical body, always consumed with what we put into it, how we work out. And I'm not against any of that. But it's funny that we would be in a culture that oftentimes does that at the same time that we are promoting as a culture a very unhealthy lifestyle. Yeah. Let that sink in. Why is sin sin? It's, it's sin because it's destructive. Ultimately, it takes away your connection with God. But there are physical consequences to it too. And nobody wants to talk about those things. Nobody wants to, to share those things. But it's important that we recognize of why all sin is sin. All of it is in some way destructive, some way unloving. Now, with that being said, I want to switch it a little bit and say this. While the Bible is clear that homosexual practice is sin, homosexual orientation or the temptation towards homosexuality or LGBTQ, different types of issues, that is never mentioned. In fact, temptation is not a sin. That's right. Jesus was tempted in every way, right? Jesus is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. We as Christians have to separate the temptation 
from the act. Those are two different things. You are tempted towards sin all the time, way more than you can admit when you're sitting next to your husband or wife. <laughs> you are tempted towards sin a lot, but you're not always acting on that sin. And I think we have to be very cautious of this because it's important that we recognize there's a difference between the orientation or what would be referred to in philosophy and science as the propensity towards sin compared to the actual action of sin. Propensity is not determinism. Propensity is not determinism. Just because you have a propensity towards something does not mean you are forced to do that thing. Now, we could talk at length about this subject as well. We do on, on, uh, on the Wednesday nights where we get into a, a little deeper of a study. But just because I have a propensity to sin or a propensity towards an evil desire that we all have in some way or another doesn't mean I'm determined to do it. In fact, the highest propensity that has ever been recorded is the Cherokee male. Anybody got Cherokee background? I have strong Cherokee background in my family. Uh, Cherokee and Irish, I've joked about that for years. I got strong Cherokee. Cherokee males are 75% more likely, or 75% will actually be, have a propensity towards alcoholism. There is a high, you are born into sin. Now in Christian world, you could call it generational curses or whatever you want to call it, but the fact is you are born with a propensity towards alcoholism. Does that make it okay to be an alcoholic? Of course not. But you are born with the highest propensity ever recorded if you are a Cherokee male, which also leads into diabetes because of the alcohol content or the sugar content in alcohol. And, and most uh, Cherokee males will end up with diabetes throughout their life. So that kind of goes along with that too. And I just want to say, just because you have a propensity towards something doesn't mean you are determined and have to do it. Here's, here's what nobody tells you nowadays. Just because you want something doesn't mean you should do it. I know every credit card company in the world tells you just buy it, just do it, follow the Nike example, just go for it. Just because you want it doesn't mean you should get it. It's not healthy, right? And so this propensity, and it comes into nature and nurture and, and all this, but you all have propensities. You all have propensities. In fact, every person in this room, if you've been married for very long, you've probably been, you've probably, uh, uh, been tempted by another woman or by another man. You've probably been tempted by lying or stealing. Some of you will have a higher propensity to lie or to steal or to do whatever. You think you could get away with it because of your nature and nurture and the way you grew up. You think you could just like cheat on your taxes and nobody would ever know. Others of you, not so much, but, but all of us have these propensities towards sin. Just because you have a propensity doesn't mean you should be stepping out in sin. Does that make sense? Are y'all with me? So, so it's a temptation. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You are tempted all around this room with something. You have to fight that temptation through the power of the Holy Spirit. If one temptation you look at is greater than another, make no mistake, you have your own temptation. Your own, James would say, your own lust. Your own tailor-made lust just for you. <laughs> all right, let's, let's, uh, let's keep reading the very next verse after verse 10 in 1 Corinthians 6. I love this. It says, and that is what some of you were. Somebody just read this with me. That is what some of you were. Don't let that go past. That is what some of you were, but you were washed, 
You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. I got to take a side rant that's not in my notes because the Holy Spirit is just dealing with me about this all morning. Uh, you need to understand this. This is key. The biggest thing that is pushing back in the LGBTQ community is not pride. It's not this pushback in that sense. It's the pushback that you can't change. That you are, that is your propensity and you cannot change. All I can tell you is there are people all around this room, all around our South Shore campus and our next services who have changed. Who have, by the power of God, because they were washed, they were sanctified, and they were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now hear me, I'm not trying to be offensive, but the truth you need to hear. You can change, it's not easy. That's where some of the harm has happened, like pray, pray more and read your Bible more. Yeah, that probably isn't going to work. It's not easy, but you can you can. And there are testimonies after testimonies. I know missionaries who, I know full-time ministers who all come out of a homosexual lifestyle. Um, again, we have quite a few people in our church who have come out of homosexual LGBTQ lifestyles that are now intimate parts of our church, deep parts of our church. It's a beautiful testimony. And the lie of the enemy that's in our culture right now is that you cannot change and that you shouldn't even think about it. Which, again, just lean in. Forgive me if I'm offensive but I have to preach the truth. I originally wanted to call this series The Problem with Pride. I didn't call it that because I felt like the title left outside of the context is too aggressive and would just cause more harm because you got to be cautious with that, right? So then I changed it over to Pride and Prejudice. But let me tell you what the problem with pride is. When you are full of pride, you cannot change. Change happens when we humble ourselves, which is the opposite of pride. We humble ourselves, admit that we're a sinner, that we need God. When we humble ourselves, then change can happen. But when we tell an entire group of people that you should be proud of who you are, they will never change. Let that sink in. Those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. That's the problem with pride. It doesn't matter what that pride is in. As long as you're full of pride, that thing won't change in your life. It changes because we walk in humility, not pride. All right, all right, all right. Where did I get out? Number two, we must seek the heart of God. We must seek the heart of God. I said it before. God loves all people. God loves all people. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. who? The world. the world. For God so loved the world. He loves all people. And the heart of God is love. Always has been, always will be. The heart of God is love. And that's his desire, is a loving relationship. And the heart of God is love. And truth without love becomes harmful. And God's ultimate goal is restoration and healing and redemption of people, of all people. And so we should love all people. But that is a complicated thing to do sometimes. Because we'll turn into this LGBTQ issue, but it's hard to love that woman with 500 coupons in front of you at the checkout counter. <laughs> it's hard to love that person who's driving 40 in a 55. Come on. Sometimes it's hard to love that person who's driving 50 in a 55. You're like, I gotta go. <laughs> right? That can be hard. So how do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. John 1.14 describes Jesus coming. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. It says this, The Word became flesh and His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full. Somebody say full. Full. 
full of grace and truth. Not 50-50, not 50% grace, 50% truth, full, 100% of grace and truth. This is, this is important. You have to see this. If we are going to follow the example of Jesus, we have to be 100% full of grace and truth. The two are not mutually exclusive, although they seem like these things don't really fit together. In fact, you will have a propensity towards one of those or the other. The grace person will be over here that God just loves you the way you are, and he just loves you, and he just, he's just the greatest thing in the world. And the grace person will always be tempted to change their theology, change the standard of God to meet what they desire. That's the grace person, because they're so loving, and they're so sweet, and they're so gentle, and we just love everybody in the grace camp. And then you get the truth camp over there, and there ain't no grace in that. It's like, you better shut up and get right. <laughs> I know what the Bible says. You need to get right. And the, and the truth people will say stupid things that are hurtful and not helpful. Like, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That's not helpful. It's not helpful. Okay, so the truth person will be over here saying hateful, ugly things. The grace person will be over here just bending all the rules to get everybody into heaven, to get everybody into relationship with God. And, and it's not real. Jesus came with 100% of both. Of both. I love this. I heard, a, I heard it this way one time. Grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is mean. <laughs> we have to be 100% of both as we deal with these type of issues. So what is a model of what that looks like? I'm glad you asked. This is the longest scripture that I'll read this morning. Uh, I'm glad you asked. How do we live in the tension between these two? John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in the act, caught in adultery. And they had set her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. That's, that, that's, that's the law. That's the truth. They ain't lying. They ain't lying. So she should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, or, or this they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. <laughs> Translation, he ignored him. <laughs> so when they continued asking, because that's what you do when somebody ignores you, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone at her. There's still truth there. Yeah. <laughs> and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted of in their, by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, hear this, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Grace and truth. Grace, neither do I condemn you. Truth, go and sin no more. What you're doing is wrong. 
but I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to build you up. That's what it looks like when we become full of grace and truth. And there is a tension between these two things that will be hard, that will be difficult to manage. And it's like pulling one at pulling the other, but that is what we are called to do. It is a tension to be managed, not a problem to be solved. You will live in this tension your entire life, whether you're dealing with your own sin or dealing with something that's going on outside of you. You will deal with this tension of being full of grace and full of truth and back and forth. And that is a struggle. And the struggle is real, y'all. The struggle is real. And we are created and meant as Christians to live in this tension between truth and grace. Truth. A hundred percent truth. 100% 100% grace, 100% truth, 100% grace. Before I give the last point and close out this message, uh, Jackie Hill Perry is a, uh, a woman who came out of a le- lesbian lifestyle. She's now a Christian teacher and author and actually a hip-hop artist as well. Uh, turn your attention to her response here about this. I think in the LBGTQ community is everything. Honestly, I think they don't get a lot of it. I don't think they understand how much your sexuality becomes who you are. Therefore, even all of your experiences kind of, in a sense, are governed by it. So your friendships, your community, uh, just your, your whole lens, in a way, is through sexual identity. And so I think that's why those in the LBGTQ community get so offended. It's not just that it's sin, because, I mean, we are offended by the gospel when someone says that we're in sin and we need to repent, but also it's like you are coming against who I am. (laughs) Like you're attacking me, not something I do, but who I am. And so I think when we kind of can understand that thinking, that I think we'll be able to be a lot more gracious in our approach, um, a lot more empathetic even. Um, yeah, I think I, th- I think even Christians fail to understand how communal the uh, homosexual community is. Like to even say you need to come out of this means that I need to remove myself from the place that I feel safe. And so even that, that's terrifying to a person to say, oh, so not only do I have to stop doing what I do, but I have to leave my friends and the people who make me feel happy or whole into a place or community that doesn't seem as safe as this one. And so, yeah, it's 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 pretty complicated. That's why I think Christians need to befriend more non-Christians and, uh, invite themselves into their circles, not necessarily go to a gay pride parade, but befriend people that don't go to your church and don't look like you and don't have the same sexual preference as you. And I think from that place, we can both come to an understanding which will make everything a lot more practical. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 6, the next verse, verse 12 says this, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I I have the right to do anything, but I must not be mastered by anything. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. That's what Paul's saying right there. Point number three is we begin to get close to wrapping up here. We must express now the word and heart of God. So you got to know the word of God. You got to know the heart of God. Now you have to express both of those two things. So there are going to be moments in life that you have to love. This is that tension, the LGBTQ community. You love them just like Jesus loves you. But you also don't condone a lifestyle that is destructive, that is separating them from God. 
This is that tension. And there will be moments that you're going to have to express that. You're going to have to express it in the right way, in the right fashion. We got to speak out against things sometimes when they come up. But even when we do, we should be speaking the truth in love. You have the countenance of the Messiah even as you're doing that. Silence is not always an option. In fact, I'm reminded that Martin Luther King Jr. in his letter from a Birmingham jail said, we have to repent in this generation, not merely for hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Now, his context there was racism, but it is still very much relevant today. We got to be so careful that we don't silence ourselves because we're not only judged by our own words, we're judged by our own silence. And when you are silent for too long, you risk losing your permission to speak. Now, here's where it's about to get even more tense. I am not talking about social media. I do not want you to go post some meme. Heterosexual pride. Not helpful. Okay. I'm not, because let me tell you what happens. Any short version conversation, any, you know, what is Twitter? 121 characters or something like that? Any short context writing becomes controversial. You know what still works, always has worked, and will work again tomorrow? Conversations. Where you actually talk. This is why I don't tweet about Pride Month very much. I talk about it with all of us. Because if you listen to this, you'll hear my heart. You'll hear a depth that you're never going to hear from a short little post. I'm not saying not to post. I'm saying be very cautious what you post. Pastor Kieran, he's, not, he's somewhere around here. Pastor Kieran made me taste my own medicine this month. I had written this great post, Pride Month. I, I wrote it before Pride Month coming up to it <laughs> about what we should be proud about and what we should not be proud about. And he was in my office. I said, hey, read this. Tell me, I'm going to read this. Tell me what you think. And I read it to him. And I expected him to go, oh, pastor, that is good. That's good. You know what he said? He said, who are you trying to talk to? Because if you want people to applaud you, you're going to get that. But if you're actually trying to love somebody and pull them in, yeah, post probably ain't going to do it. And I love, his, I love his honesty. Listen, sometimes you need to let somebody else read your post before you post them. <laughs> Because your posts actually create a following of people who just agree with you and not somebody who doesn't. All I'm saying is this, conversations and long format um, uh, posts or talks or or things like that, long formats go a lot further than short format. Short format is just making a point and everybody attacks it. Long format conversations and messages like this, you hear a heart, you understand. Even if you don't agree with me, you start to understand. Uh, The last time I spoke on this subject, there was a lesbian lady in the audience and she came to me afterwards and she said, I did not want to come because you were speaking on this subject. She said, but by the time it was over, she said, she said, I'm so glad you were speaking on this subject. I thought, I thought that was so good. Uh, All I'm saying is long format. I'm going to bite my lip because there's a few other things I'd like to say cautious of the things you're posting. You might be causing more harm than you're causing good. That is not where I'm talking about that you always need to speak up. There may be a time. I'm just saying, be careful. Long formats are better. Long formats are better. But when we're talking about this issue, we're talking about real people with real struggles, just like you and I, that are struggling. John John Stott, the theologian, he says it this way. He said, at the heart of the homosexual condition, indeed, the whole human condition is a deep loneliness. The natural hunger 
the natural human hunger for mutual love, a search for identity, and a longing for completeness. If homosexual people cannot find these things inside the local church family, we have no business go on, going on using that expression. Mm. We got to be so, so cautious. And I, I close with this idea. We got to be cautious we don't become religious police. We got to be cautious we don't become religious police. Everybody always tells the story of, of the woman caught in the act of adultery, and they always tell it from either her perspective or Jesus' perspective. Those are both powerful. You ever think about the Pharisees? Think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees are trying to get Jesus in trouble. So they are looking for somebody doing something wrong. They got their their scopes on, their binoculars, and they are looking for somebody. Oh, I know I'm going to find some. You ever think about the fact, there might have been some entrapment going on in this, I don't know, but you ever think about the fact that they are seeking out, like what are they just like opening doors, looking around for adultery? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are the Pharisees doing? Like, what are they doing? Do not become the religious Pharisee who goes around looking for everybody else's sin. The Bible is meant to be used as a mirror. That's what James said. As a mirror that reflects back onto us in our lives. And we remove the plank out of our own eye before we go looking for somebody else's plank or their speck. The Bible is not meant to be used as binoculars that are looking for everybody else. Just, just ever, just help me out for a second. Ever put your hands like this, put on your, put on your binoculars. Watch this. You know what you see? You know what you see? A little, a little bit. You never see the whole. You're focusing on such a one thing that you don't see the whole of the thing. And you can focus on the sin and kill the person. We have to be so careful that we don't become religious Pharisees. So how do we do that? Well, we just read it in 1 Corinthians, but in Romans chapter 1 is another one of those passages where it talks about uh, the sin of homosexuality and and this kind of thing. And and in there, there are 24 sins listed between Romans 1.20 and verse 31. Let me just mention a few of them for you real fast. Homosexuality, unrighteousness, sexual immorality. Jesus said that's the stuff you think too. I just eliminated a bunch of us. Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whispering, backbiting, hating God, violence, pride, boasting, inventing evil things, disobedient to parents. Hmm. Lack of discernment, untrustworthiness, lack of love, lack of forgiveness, lack of mercy. (laughs) You're telling me some people will actually act with a lack of mercy and forgiveness and love in a condemning way towards somebody else with the same passage. I can't see it. I can't see myself. I can't see the whole issue. I can, I can only see your sin. That we are actually in the same passage violating the same passage they're violating from, but all we see is their violation, not our own. I, I really wanted to wear my Tampa Bay Lightning shirt this morning. Go Lightning, go Bolts. Man, they give me like, like I, got, I can't watch hockey, man. It gives me like heart problems because it's so intense all the time. Um, <laughs> it's probably not healthy for me to watch hockey. So I was going to wear my Lightning shirt, but, but literally the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. And he said, pull this one out the closet. It's been a while. Y'all remember this? It's been a while. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. 
Your sin is great, but mine's better. <laughs> I'm the chief of sinners. And when we start dealing with other people's sin, we have to deal with it from the perspective that I am in the same boat as you. Yeah, I am not better than you because I've been washed and redeemed and sanctified. I am not better. I am a chief of sinner myself. All I'm doing is showing you how to get out of it just like I got out of it. And when we have that type of conversation, healing begins to happen. Because here's the final note. Here's the final. We have all, we, we all have the exact same sickness. It's called sin. And we're all being treated with the exact same remedy. It's called the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's how we start balancing grace and truth. Grace and truth, 100% of both. Not running to one side or the other, not recreating theology around my experience or my desire, but holding on tightly to both and loving people enough because love will confront, but it confronts in love. It confronts not because they're wrong. It confronts because you're trying to help them be right. Confronting out of love. So that, my friends, is I believe, what I believe is the Christian response to the LGBTQ community. I told Aid and I were talking about this the other day. We were in Orlando for a wedding. We went to the outlet mall, the huge outlet mall there. And like every store has pride flags everywhere. And there's a part of us that can get annoyed, right? It's like, ah. But then there's another part of me that I have to flip it. And say, every time I see one of those, it reminds me to pray that lives are changed and healed and restored. And that while the world may preach one thing, the gospel is still effective and powerful. And where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And it's just a, every time I see a pride fly, it's just a reminder that God has saved me. And if he can save me, he can save you, y'all. Let me tell you what you don't know about a rise. If you knew the people sitting around you, you'd pull your purse a little closer to you. <laughs> you got drug addicts, you got messed up, you got washed up people, you got people that, man, there's people that come in drunk sometimes on Sunday mornings. It's always interesting. <laughs> you don't know because we value people and God's grace is for everyone and not beyond anyone. I am the chief of sinners. You need to have the attitude that you are the chief of sinners. Therefore, as I confront these things, I'm not doing it as a person beating you up. I'm doing it as a person who's just walked your shoes a mile ahead of you and I'm just showing you the way to get out. Amen. Would you stand up with me? We have to close. And, but as we do, Father, Lord, I pray that your spirit is working in our hearts today. As we deal with this um, hot topic, I pray that we do it with love and, and grace and truth. And Lord, that as we present it, Lord, it's doing something inside of each one of us. Because we cannot look at somebody else's sin when we're not acknowledging our own. Help us to not look holy, but to be holy. The church world is plagued by Pharisees that look the part on the outside and we know when to say the right thing and do the right thing and lift our hands and dress the right way and all that, but we're not living right. Lord, I pray that we would be a church full of people that are living holy before you, that are not beating others up because of their sin, but is helping others out because we are just a mile up the road, just leading them a little further than where they are now, showing them the way of escape from the passions and the lusts and the desires of the flesh. Would help us to be those people. Help us to be those people. There's some of you in this room this morning and, and you may not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And this morning is your opportunity to surrender your life to Christ, to give your life over to him. 
If that's you in this room this morning and you say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Christ, just, would you just stick your hand up and wave it at me around the room so I can pray for you? And then we're going to end like this in just a second. I'm going to invite our prayer team to go ahead and come on up front. Um, Antoine's going to come close us out. But as soon as he's done, the band will play for a few minutes longer. And if you want special prayer for anything, or if you'd like to receive communion this morning, you're welcome to do that under the screens on the right and left. But the Holy Spirit, I believe, is in this place because he wants us to be his hands and feet. And the Christian problem is that we either tend to be full of grace or full of truth, and we don't balance the two. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us this morning that as we witness, as we evangelize, as we love people, that we are full of both grace and truth. That we can say, has nobody been here to accuse you, then neither do I condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. God, help us to do that. Help us to do that. Father. God, I thank you for this message. I pray that it pierces us in our depths of our heart. I pray that it's not a message we hear, but it's a message we live out. It becomes part of what we do in our Christian practice. In a world where people are either scared to speak or don't speak or what have you, God, I pray that we would speak up in the right moments and the right times, but we would speak up with the right attitudes and the right heart. Lord, let us be people that know your heart. Let us be people that know your truth. And let us be people that express your heart and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing and sharing this on all your social platforms? If you are moved by the message and would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myariseChurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged. See you next time. Thank you.